Welcome to FinTech at Kellogg, a podcast where we'll shed light on the innovative people, ideas, and technology that are transforming the financial service landscape as we know it. I'm your host, John Cambris, and today we sit down with Boaz Vulcan, who works in the business development team at Prodigy. Prodigy has exploded onto the international student loan scene in recent years, and in late 2017 finished a huge fundraising round that secured over $240 million. Boaz talks about what sets Prodigy apart from its competitors, his love of working in fintech, and where he sees the company in five years. So without further ado, here it is. Boaz, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'd like to jump right into it and have you introduce yourself to our audience. How did you end up working at Prodigy Finance? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. So I had just finished my postgraduate uh, in South Africa, which is where I'm from, and was sort of gearing towards a career in investment banking or management consulting, then realized that I didn't really want to work for a big corporate. I'd been reading about fintech. This was in 2015, number of articles, literally went onto LinkedIn, typed in fintech, came across Prodigy Finance, applied, had six interviews, got the job. And what type of work do you do in the business development team? So it's quite broad. I, When I first started, I was employee number 50. We're now at about 150. So when I first started wearing many different hats, hats, excuse me, as you do when you work for a startup. But primarily now, I manage the relationships with different business schools and other schools, so being the main point of contact for people, let's say, in the financial aid office or admissions or corporate relations or student clubs trying to build the brand of Prodigy from a thought leadership perspective, speaking at fintech panels, uh, speaking a bit more on our social impact side of the business, also doing one-on-one coffee chats with students, then being a liaison for product teams in terms of getting user feedback, working on strategic marketing activities, uh, helping out a little bit on the investor side of the business. So it's pretty broad. You really are wearing a lot of hats, uh, typical for a fintech company. So did I get that right that you said you were employee number 50? Out of now there's 150? Correct. And that was in 2015? Correct. So the company's really grown over the last couple of it's years. It's tripled basically since since I started. Wow, that that's incredible. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about Prodigy uh, itself and maybe why there's been such tremendous growth over the last few years? Sure. So Prodigy Finance was started in 2007 by three MBAs at INSEAD who were from the developing world who struggled to pay for the MBA and our CEO and One of those original founders, Cameron Stevens, who was from South Africa, really wanted to ensure that there was easy access for financing for MBAs. That's how the company first started. And originally, the model was INSEAD alumni funding incoming INSEAD students. And over the years, we've expanded to other business. We now do STEM degrees like Masters in Engineering, Business Analytics, uh, LOMs, public policy. So the real growth is that we sort of have grown from just doing MBAs at one school to now being at a, around 250 schools globally in about 18 different countries, pretty much all the Financial Times top 100 business schools. And the real growth is that there's a real need for access to financing, particularly for international students. And what particularly has happened over the last three years for you to see that growth? Yeah, so we closed uh, a couple of big equity rounds and debt rounds. So we're backed by Boulderton Capital and Index Ventures. 
who are amongst the leading VCs within the fintech space. So that allowed us to, you know, hire more people in critical positions to help scale up that they bring a wealth of expertise. And then we also closed last year $200 million uh, debt round with a large global bank. So that also allows, you know, more scalability on the funding side, allows to diversify which courses we can fund. So really while I've been at the company, those two sort of big factors have really allowed us to, to scale up and do more at a quicker pace. That's great. So it sounds like you're really expanding and you're really in a good spot. And that latest fundraising round, I think you said it was over $200 million. I'm sure, I'm sure that was exciting for, for everyone on the team. Let's just back up a second and talk more about Prodigy itself. So let's get into the meat of it. What is the mission of Prodigy? How would you define the mission of the company? Sure. So we're very much a for-profit, mission-led fintech company. I know that's a bit of a mouthful. But what that means is at the heart of the company is that moving across borders shouldn't be a challenge to fund education, but in general, it shouldn't be a barrier to financial products. If you're someone from Ghana or India or South Africa, you're a high achiever and you get admitted to a top school, you should be able to easily fund it because you're going to be a good bet going forward. So the real mission of the company is that it's not where you are right now, it's where you're going. And if you move across borders, you should be able to easily access financial products to be able to achieve your dreams. And can you say a little where you're located? I know that you have an office in London. Where, where are your other offices? Sure. So we're headquartered in London. We have a big office in Cape Town, and we also have an office in New York. And how many total students do you have uh, that are getting funding through Prodigy right now? So to date, we funded over 9,300 students. That's equal to about $410 million. So this has really grown over the last yeah. few years uh, pretty substantially. So almost 10,000 students. Almost 10,000 students continuously increasing, and we lend to 118 different countries. So it's super, super diverse. And what makes Prodigy special, right? So, you know, and what I'm getting at there is what are your differentiating factors? What's your value proposition for those that want to borrow from you? Sure. So a couple of things. What really sets us apart is that we don't require any collateral or any cosigner on any of our loans. Only the student is liable for it. And why originally that was quite innovative is that if you go, let's say, to a place like India, you can get a loan from a local bank, let's say, to fund an MBA at Kellogg. And often the bank will ask for collateral from your parents or your grandparents or another relative. The interest rate will be you know, greater than 10%. The terms won't be great, whereas us... With, with Prodigy Finance's loan, we don't require any of that. The rates are quite competitive. Once again, only the student is liable. And many local institutions will look at you and base the risk assessment based on what your current assets are worth. However, if you're coming from a developing country and you're looking to finance something in euros or sterling or USD, obviously the value of your current assets aren't going to be as much as, you know, $150,000 degree. So we work on a future affordability model. So we don't really look at your current assets, but we look at how much we think you can earn after your degree and therefore price the risk that way. Now, do you find that that's limiting to the students that you can, you can give funding to? Um, it is definitely, you know, it's, it's a topical question because Naturally, we started out as MBAs where there's probably more salary data and now we've extended to, to STEM degrees. So that's like science, technology, engineering, maths, which are generally a bit safer. Um, and what I mean by that is 
it's just a bit more uncertain, even though someone can study a humanities degree and get a really good job within our space, the company's direction has been focusing on degrees where we think that there's better sort of post-degree opportunities so that people can better easily repay their loans. Okay, so we know that that includes MBAs. What other types of professions would that include? So right now what we do is, so it's MBAs, other business, which would be like masters in finance, perhaps masters in business analytics, uh, as I mentioned, masters in data science, engineering, other technology-related technical degrees, also public policy and law. And we're also thinking about potentially expanding to masters in health sciences, medical degrees, stuff like that. Beyond that, not, not too much else at this point. Interesting. So I, I know that there are a few companies in the U.S. that are trying to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So if a student's thinking about getting funding through Prodigy versus getting funding through maybe one of your competitors, mm -hmm. what would you say to that student? Yeah. So obviously, you know, check out all different options. I think what really sets us apart is that we were a company built by students for students. We try to make the process as transparent, as quick as, as possible. It's very... Um, you know, online friendly. A lot of other competitors will ask for a lot of documents either in person. Um, it's a bit more difficult to get a hold of people. It's sort of not set up um, the way that you would like a fintech company to, to set up. Uh, you can get a provisional offer from us within 20 minutes. Some other competitors, you, can, you know, it can take up to five business days. And we really like to put speed and efficiency at the heart of what we do. Um, and then on top of that, we also offer a number of sort of community benefits. So we do uh, sort of networking, um, other events in our different offices, like an open office in our New York office, London, and trying to add other sort of value-added products. So, for example, in the U.S., we have uh, some ties with some big cell phone companies so that on arrival, you will get a cell phone contract. And going forward, we, we have some other partnership pieces in the works uh, and some other topics that have been branded uh, internally would be like, you know, credit cards to help people build a, a U.S. credit history, for example, um, and some other sort of cross-border products as well. And what do the rates look like for students that are coming to, let's say there's an international student that is looking to come to Kellogg in particular. Um, what would those rates be compared to some of your competitors? So they're really competitive, particularly as an international student that requires no collateral co-signer, ranges from 5% to 7% above a reference rate. And the reference rate is three-month USD LIBOR in Kellogg's case. Uh, at schools in the UK, you can get a loan in sterling or USD. And at our, some of our European schools, we also offer loans in euros. So the rates are competitive. Um, some students who are looking to, let's say they have a relative in the U.S., they have access to a cosign in the U.S., the rates probably will be a bit lower in that case. But then if there's a small differential, we like to think that in terms of process and some of our other features, you know, we're really competitive as well. So that's really interesting. Speaking of trends, have you seen any other interesting trends, either with the types of students applying for loans or the amount that they're seeking? Yeah, uh, definitely seen some trends. I think there's a lot more competition to MBAs, particularly the rise of data-heavy courses like data analytics, uh, business analytics, stuff like that. So we've definitely seen an increase in demand for those sort of degrees, particularly from markets like India and China. Generally, we, we fund a lot of students from, from those regions. So it's been interesting to see some of those trends. I think in terms of the loan amounts that they ask for, School in the U.S. is 
you know, one of the more expensive regions, particularly a lot of the courses are two years. So our max is 80% cost of attendance, cost of attendance being tuition and living expenses. Some other providers will offer more than that. We like to think that we want students to have a vested interest as well. So we don't want to fund 100% cost of attendance where basically we funded the whole thing. Uh, we want them to have sort of skin in the game, so to speak. Um, but typically students, we encourage them to explore all options of financing. So many students will have a scholarship or fellowship for a big portion of that cost of attendance. And then, you know, we'll fund that gap. That's great. So um, I actually want to take a step back now and talk more about fintech in general, right? We have a lot of students that are thinking about going into fintech. Before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about some hiring trends. Anything that, uh, any advice that you would have for students that are thinking about getting into fintech? Yeah, totally. I think it's definitely an exciting time. There's a lot of interesting startups. More broadly, anything to do with blockchain is obviously really, really interesting. And some would say that's like real hardcore fintech because you've got emerging technology with financial services. So it's definitely an exciting space. It combines many different layers, sort of what's been happening in broader startup world from Silicon Valley that's expanded to different centers. So you've got lean principles of how organizations are, are structured, decision-making, more ambiguity, more open plan offices, that sort of stuff coming into financial services, which is great. So if you're interested in, you know, having a direct impact in an organization and sort of getting stuck in, that's a great side. More broadly is there's a lot of VC money flowing into fintech companies. So there's a lot of good sort of career opportunities that, you know, the salaries are competitive to other financial services firms. And there's a lot of interesting innovation happening in, in asset management, insurance, lending, whatever vertical you're interested, there's a fintech startup for you. So in terms of hiring trends, I think the big thing is really knowing why you're interested to go into, let's say, a smaller organization or medium organization, and why you're interested in going after some of the bigger players in that space. So what's your favorite part about working at Prodigy? It's a really good question. I think for me, it's at that sort of multidisciplinary section of there's the financial services aspect, there's the tech aspect, there's the social impact side, which I'm personally very interested in. And it's still for profit. So, you know, we do want to make money, we do want to be sustainable, but we do want to help people achieve their dreams. So there's that social impact side. Um, but more broadly is we've got offices in New York City, London, Cape Town, particularly in London. I think we have over people from I don't know, more than 12 or 13 countries that global interaction operating across different time zones. In one day, I'll speak to an incoming student from Colombia. I'll speak to a current student who's maybe from the US. I'll then speak to a colleague who's from Argentina, sort of relish that global interaction, which is just really good from a cultural perspective for growth, personal and otherwise. Uh, and I really, really relish that global interaction. So we have a lot of students that, that come and say, what's it like to work at a fintech company? And it sounds like you're having a great experience. What are some of your um, favorite things to do, right? Uh, so not necessarily the favorite parts of working at Prodigy, but maybe, you know, some of the, your more favorite activities, right? So whether that's traveling, it sounds like you get to travel a lot between New York and, and London. Uh, is it giving presentations? Is it getting on the phone with people around the world? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, I like this sort of stuff, what we're doing now, speaking about uh, the general industry, the business that we, we do. We're quite rare that, as I mentioned, you know, for-profit, fintech, social impact, there's a lot happening there. So, for example, this past Saturday, I was at 
Harvard. I gave a talk about innovative strategies for financial inclusion. I really enjoy that thought leadership piece, which pushes me, you know, to think deep on an intellectual level about our business model. Uh, financial inclusion is something I'm really interested in. The travel is definitely great. I like, I've never been to Chicago, for example, before. So flying into Chicago was a first for me. Dealing with Chicago winter, obviously something new, probably not one of the favorite things, but I'm going to Colombia, for example, in March. So meeting people across the world is definitely something that sort of aligns with my interest in travel. But going back to um, some of the other things I really enjoy is there's some seriously smart people at the company tackling problems that many other companies haven't really done, particularly around the cross-border piece. So like to be involved in something, you know, building something that we're trying to really build a cross-border credit platform. Student loans is the first thing, but hopefully it's not the only thing. So being part of that mission to build something is really, really exciting. And just part of my nature is you know, dealing with ambiguity, building things for the first time, building systems and processes where there, there wasn't anything before. Um, the common thing that is a bit cliched is that we're building the airplane while flying. And I really enjoy that sort of startup mentality to just get things done and to execute and then iterate. It's, it's just a great vibe. Now, are you in the world of fintech all of the time, or is there opportunity at your company to work with some of the bigger banks, right? There's there's that conversation of, are fintechs meant to replace the banks? Are they meant to work with the banks? And I know that that's, the answer to that conversation has changed over the last five or six years. So what's your take on that? And then how does your company interact with the bigger banks? Totally. So I was definitely amongst the people who five years ago thought that in 10 years, there's going to be like the Google equivalent uh, of a fintech company that's going to get to a hundred billion dollar market cap, uh, take over a bank's business. And it's been really interesting to be part of that experience from an internal fintech company and see that it's much more of a symbiotic relationship. And what I mean to really grow, I think a lot of fintech companies need relationships with big banks. So for example, I mentioned the $200 million raise that we did on the debt side. So to fund the loans to get that access to capital at, uh, cost-effective cost of capital, you can only really go to a big bank. So you, to really raise $200 million, let's say, on the retail side from a bunch of individuals is not fully scalable. And you've seen SoFi and some other players also have to sort of change their funding strategy that, you know, a couple times a year, you go to some big banks and you raise, you know, $200 million at a time. It's much more scalable. And for fintech companies, it's a way for them to gain exposure, learn a bit more, and... What you've seen is a lot of fintech companies have focused on one specific niche. So peer-to-peer -peer lending within, um, you know, a business perspective or student loans or fintech company has just done, let's say, insurance or they now just do compliance to so the rise of like reg tech and sort of very niche-based services. You haven't seen someone try to build a big bank um, until the last few years, so there's companies in the UK like Monzo and Revolut, so-called challenger banks. So maybe one of those could become a $100 billion company, but chances are by the time they get too big, they'll probably get bought by a big bank because they've got tremendous balance sheets. So to buy a fintech company for $5 billion, while that would be a big purchase, you haven't really seen uh, fintech companies get bought for huge amounts of money compared to, let's say, the general tech space, which I think shows you that it is much more of a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, there's this interesting dance that's going on right now where fintech companies come in because they want to be the disruptors. And then as they start growing, they realize they need funding and they start building 
partnerships with banks and then either uh, the banks are supporting them in some way or the banks, like you, you mentioned, will then buy them out in some way. Totally. And financial services is very regulated, particularly over 2008. It's costly, right? Um, compliance, compliance, basically, the, the last few years. And I mean, compliance has never been sexy in many ways because there's a lot of interesting companies trying to help people with uh, help fintech companies with compliance, but banks do compliance really, really well and they have a lot of expertise. And as you grow, that's a part of growing up and banks are very well positioned to to deal with costly regulation procedures, understanding the law. Um, so that that is a challenge as you grow that banks have that area of expertise and th that's only going to continue. So let's speculate a little bit. Where's Prodigy five years from now? Where's Prodigy 10 years from now? I mean, that's a great question. I think you, if you speak to a few different people in the company, they'll probably give you a different answer to this. I think Prodigy five years from now, hopefully, is a cross-border credit platform. And what I mean by that is well, one of the few companies that receives credit bureau reports, there's about 80 credit bureaus in the world. Um, we've got credit bureau reports from pretty much all of them. And historically, we weren't doing that much with them. They're in you know PDF format. And... Our data science team is tasked with trying to get a lot of that data off PDFs into machine-readable format to try convert that into credit data that we can actually actually use as leverage for our clients to, let's say, you come to Kellogg, you're from Ghana, you've now repaid your loan with Prodigy, you now moved to London and you want to get a mortgage. You've just moved across so many different countries. You're a very good repayer. You're actually super prime, but a bank now in London won't touch you because you have no UK credit history. So how can we help that type of client get access to financial products? So mortgages, insurance products, personal loans, car loans. And in five years' time, I would like us to leverage the data that we have to really um, help that type of profile. Um, on the other side... I think once we've done well in that side, I'd like us to do a little bit more on the social impact side. So, you know, maybe it's a learn forgiveness program, encouraging people to go back to their home countries. Perhaps, you know, if you start a company and you employ X amount of people, your loan rate, interest rate reduces from, let's say, 5% to 2%. So doing a little bit more on the impact side um, would be great. And I think those are the two sort of high level things for me. So it sounds like there's a lot of runway for Prodigy to move over the next few years. It's not just staying in this particular lending space. Totally. And I mean, data is 100% the new gold or oil. And we have so much data that's currently, you know, untapped across borders. That's the way the world is going is that particularly in the blockchain space as well, um, you know, wherever you're from or where you're going shouldn't be a hindrance to a financial product or moving money around. But it's still very outdated and archaic for you to send money back Back home, if you're, you know, want to send remittances or you want to pay a friend, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in that space. And one step further is a lot of, let's say, blockchain companies are very innovative on the tech side, but there's this sort of elephant in the room about regulation and compliance. And one of Prodigy's sort of key things is that we've developed this interesting legal model that is enforceable in 118 countries. So perhaps in five years' time, we're either building blockchain capabilities internally or partnering with a leader that leverages our you know, intellectual legal IP that, with, with that interesting technology. So really the possibilities are endless. That's incredible. So it sounds like it's a really interesting and exciting place to work. Totally. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was really great to, to have you here. Uh, it was great to have you on campus today. You were able to talk to some of our students, and I'm sure that they valued those conversations. So thanks again for making the trip out to Chicago. Yeah, thanks so much for having me.